I, I remember in the villages during, during the war, there's no Tai Chi class, no Tai Chi school, but people were doing something with their body before the day begins. That's how Tai Chi began. Before we put a name on it, it's how people wake up, body, mind, and spirit. Even if you don't even use those language, you know in order to wake up, you have to be totally there to be a whole effective human being alive every day. Welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is Chung Leong Wang, philosopher, dancer, Tai Chi master, and one of the most important and enduring teachers in Esalen's history. Born in Shanghai, China, Huang moved to the United States to study architecture and cultural anthropology. In Los Angeles, he fell into a career as a professional dancer through a chance meeting with Sammy Davis Jr. In the mid-1960s, Huang became a close collaborator with the philosopher Alan Watts, who would introduce him to the Esalen Institute. He soon became a beloved teacher at Esalen, particularly well-known for his collaborations with Watts, mythologist Joseph Campbell, Houston Smith, Gregory Bateson, Laura Huxley, and Carl Rogers. Wong is a fellow of the World Academy of Art and Science, director of the Hong Kong Dance Company, and the author of 18 books. At age 82, he continues to teach Tai Chi every year at Esalen on the pool deck which bears his name. My life has been war after war, escaping from one place to another. In fact, the day I was born in Chinese history is called the Bloody Saturday. That was when China and Japan actually engaged in war. Air Force up there in the sky over Shanghai was fighting. And unfortunately, that's a, that's a one of the saddest situation. China Air Force only learned how to fly from the American support from the old American airplanes. They were learning to fight, but they were not experienced. And they were not the best airplanes. So they were fighting Japanese up there. And Japanese has a warship there by the bay. Chinese supposed to bomb that ship. Somehow, they bombed their own city, killed their own people. Many people, innocent civilians died. I was born right in Shanghai in the hospital, right there, that's my birthplace. So I somehow survived, I didn't get killed. And I lived, after 11 days of my birth, my family escaped on a refugee ship to go to Hong Kong. From Hong Kong, went to the southern part of the village. We survived eight years during the war, Sino-Japanese war. Took eight years. Eventually, Japanese surrendered and uh, after Pearl Harbor. And we went back. To, my father went back to the capital, continued to be in the government. I see, I was, um, 1949, I was 12 years old when we went to Taiwan. So I finished high school there. And then college, I came to America to study. So when I came here, my eldest brother was already here. He said, well, you should study engineer, engineering because it's useful to go back home to serve your country. But I was not interested in engineering. I was more interested in the arts always. So I made a compromise. I shift into architecture. And uh, I became an architect. But during my school years, I was interested in movement with my Tai Chi Kung Fu. And as I started dancing in college, yeah, I was one of the few men willing to put on tights and dance. 
So I became the the star of our college musicals. (laughs) But that just piqued my interest in theater. But of course, I wasn't going to become a theater person. I had to finish my school. So, yeah. So, and then... And after graduation, I worked as an architect in Beverly Hills for, for a very short while. And my colleague one day said, I have a new car. Would you like a ride? I need to pick up my girlfriend in the North Hollywood dance studio. I said, oh, sure, I'll take a ride with you. So we took the ride to North Hollywood. I still remember it's a place called Moro Landers Dance Studio. And we were waiting for the, his girlfriend to finish his ball, her ballet class. And I was standing in the hallway, and suddenly I, I heard this noise in the next door rehearsing. I recognized him, Sammy Davis Jr. He looked at me, he said, hey, I need a Chinese, can you dance? <laughs> I said, of course I can dance. <laughs> so he taught me the Times Square steps, and I learned it. He gave me another routine, I learned it. He said, wow, you're good. Uh, go on tour with me. The rehearsal begins Monday. And I said, wow, you're great. I, I, I'm a fan of yours, but I have a job. I'm an architect. He said, oh, quit your job and come with me. <laughs> that, in a way, turned around, turned my life around. I went to work Monday morning, and I said to my boss, Victor, I said, guess what happened? I told the story. Victor says, you're kidding. He's my favorite performer. You go with him. I keep your job. Uh, I went and uh, rehearsed and toured with Sammy for seven weeks, actually. Um, and, but I didn't go back to my drafting tables. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was it like being on tour with Sammy Davis? Did uh, you go to Vegas? Oh, well, first we, we opened in Hollywood. It's on Vine and Hollywood. And we opened there, and we went on to San Francisco and at the Gary Theater, and then we went on to Las Vegas at the Sands Hotel, the legendary Sands Hotel with the Rat Packs. Uh, for three weeks, altogether seven weeks. Uh, they went on to Palladium in London, but I was still with my student visa, so I, I couldn't go. Uh, so I had to go back to school. Another love is cultural anthropology, to continue, and bringing the East-West culture together with mythology and anthropology, and I also began to study dance. And I was seriously going back into dance and combine my Tai Chi Kung Fu background with new dance techniques. And I ended up making my debut in uh, Jacob's Fellow Dance Festival, New York Festival, Dance in Central Park, American Dance Festival. I formed my own company. For a short while, I was successful. I was Dancer of the Month in Dance Magazine. I have a, I'm gonna ask you another question about your evolving work in the theater and movies, I found, I had a song queued up for you. Really? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. You know this? Chop suey. <laughs> chop suey. <laughs> Tell me about chop suey. Oh, well, that was the, 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 the song in, uh, in the movie I was in. I was a featured dancer. And in fact, I had a special uh, Featured part in in the number called Chop Suey, and you, the music there Juanita uh, Juanita Hall, she was the original Bloody Mary in Broadway show um, South Pacific. She's actually black. She's half a black, so they made her Chinese. Those days, very few Asian performers. You have to use anybody look halfway Chinese. You have black people. You have Filipino. You have Japanese. You have half Japanese, half Chinese. 
and you have Caucasians with plastic eyes to look like they have slitty eyes. So that was the era. In fact, it's quite racially not quite right. It's embarrassing, but it's fun music. You know, it was fun for me. Yeah. I watched Flower Drum Song on um, on YouTube, <laughs> and I, I picked you out, and you had the you had a great solo. Because I know, so I was in four numbers. You may not realize the one with the glasses chasing the maid in dream. That was me too. It was oh, my number. Oh, nice. Yeah, in, in Sunday, I had glasses on. I had a sweet, beautiful silk suit. And had a cane chasing the French maid around. So is this after the um, dancing in Sammy Davis Jr.? After Sammy. After Sammy. Some of the dancers were Hollywood dancers. I, it was new for me. I left architecture. I just have a fling. I had a fling. And they said, listen, um, some of them going to audition. So you're Chinese. You, you can dance. You better. Flower drums are auditioning for the movie. So I went with them and I got the part. You know, so. <laughs> and did you think that you would have continue to be in Hollywood films and pursue this no, career? No, no. I, I, I wish I could, but at that time, oh, to get a good part in China, in, 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 in Hollywood as Chinese, you know, either you have a, you're a waiter or a laundryman or restaurant owners, and nothing, nothing substantial. Right. Yeah. Or Japanese kamikaze pilot. Uh, if I do that, my father would disown me, you know, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but my life um, began to, to open up when I came to Esalen. Uh, that was more than half a century ago, and, and I discovered a new world, a whole new world beyond the academic, artistic world. I was happy in it, but uh, I realized it's a much bigger window. Uh, at that time, uh, American culture, American consciousness was reaching outward. Uh, everybody go to, went to India, went to Japan. China was not possible at that time. Uh, but, so, but China was the lineage for Zen and for all this early Buddhism and Taoism, which everybody was studying. And I was prepared, and I grew up with it. So Alan Watts invited me to teach with him. I was a professor at UCLA. And one of my students' husband was an Alan Watts follower. And uh, he said, oh, you should meet Alan Watts. And Alan Watts had a seminar at, in Santa Barbara at a place called Hope Ranch. And he said, well, come and, come and meet Alan Watts one weekend. So I took the weekend to meet Alan Watts. Alan said, come teach with me. Alan has a thing about Asian people anyway. <laughs> and of course, he knew I had the background with all the classics. So he, he, he just picked on me on all the classics, Zen, Tao, teaching, Tao Te Ching. And we had a good time having fun. And he said, you should come to Esalen. And I said, where's Esalen? The first time I, hit, I was here, Michael Murphy welcomed me with Alan was teaching. And at that time, we had only the lodge for food and eating. After meal, we would put all the chairs and table away to do seminar there. It was informal, it was wonderfully intimate. Uh, I was impressed with this beauty, beautiful place. Uh, I also loved the hot springs because I grew up in China, lo loving the hot springs. So I was intrigued, but I was busy teaching south at UCLA. And later I met um, uh, Dick Price, 
And he was quite a student and uh, very much of a deep uh, study of Taoism and Chinese classics. So we share that in common. And uh, he kept saying, Keep, come up and teach here, uh, be with us and uh, come visit the staffs and come to our staff week, in fact. I came up and uh, got to know the folks here and uh, we're, we're very in tune slowly and I decided maybe I will find some time to come up and teach here. And I was probably the youngest teacher here, always, almost half, half the age of most teachers here. And I became a good student. I sat by their feet and learned from them. I still remember being here with Fritz Perl, Charlotte Silver, Ida Roth, and uh, early, early mentors, Carl Rogers, and later with Will Schutz and Encounter Group. My two most important uh, mentor collaborator uh, through the years at Esalen began with Alan Watts, of course. And I was so impressed with this Westerner writing about my culture so well. He was able to talk about what I grew up with. In fact, he was able to write the ineffable, so effably uh, impressive. So once we met, we became kindred spirits right away and mutually. He appreciated what I could do. I appreciate what he could do. In fact, in the beginning, mutual admiration, also mutual intimidation. He was intimidated by how free my body was and how easy I'm, I, I can let my spirit and body, mind, spirit express. And he was more of a uh, intellectual. He was a philosopher sitting down all the time talking. And I was intimidated by his facility in language. I worried about my incompetency matching his verbal intellect. And this is what Alan said to me, Zhong Liang, don't you ever improve your English. He says, because you, it's your second language, you have to fumble, you have to use your gesture, gesture, you have to use your whole body, you have to use your emotion and feelings to express what you want to say. And I, Alan Watts, who speaks so well, perfect English, sometimes I think I've said it all. He said, I need to learn to move with you, I need to Tai Chi boogie with you, please help me. And I said, hell, good, please help me with my language facility. So we help one another, each other. And we became good partnership. And in fact, uh, when he was researching, doing his last book he wanted to do on Taoism, he asked my help. And in fact, he asked not only my help, he asked my mother's help. Uh, because not only I do research with him, I discover, I discuss with him all the chapters. I also did a, a visual a cover for him and also each chapter calligraphy. But also we want the Chinese notes and of all the quotes he, we have. And he wanted me to do it. I, I had little patience to do small print. So I said, well, just ask a good Chinese calligrapher who does it beautifully. And he said, no, 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 we can't just get somebody without any personality, he said. And one day he saw the letter from my mother. He said, who is this? Who's writing this? I said, my mother. He said, oh, this is perfect. She has both masculine feminine energy and it's real please ask her to do the notes i said i don't know i asked but uh, you have to ask her so she he called my mother and my mother said i'll ask my son <laughs> after i approve it my mother said, okay i'll do it for you and if you read the book now the watercourse way all the notes are by my mother 
and the, the, the calligraphy on the cover. So we, we do this mix and learning together. The other story I love to talk about Alan Watt during that period, he loved calligraphy. He kept asking me to work with him, helping to get better. But he didn't start until when he was a young man, and I began when I could hold my brush. So I became a calligrapher artist and because I have practiced all my life. He, he was in the second, third grade level, basically. But he was famous. So he called me, he said, Zhong Liang, a gallery in San Francisco want to do an exhibition of my calligraphy. And everybody wanted Alan Watts calligraphy to collect. And he, he was flattered, but he said, listen, I need to improve, please help me. I said, Alan, your calligraphy is unique. It, it sounds like you have an accent. <laughs> no matter how you try it in the next few months before the exhibition, you won't look any f better. And might as well accept being unique, okay? So he said, you're right. And many people collect his calligraphy. I still have two of his in my uh, archive, in my uh, Riverhouse studio. And it's unique. He loved it, it showed. But it's a foreigner trying to do Chinese calligraphy. Uh, and he and I share this kind of learning together. And he, in his way, he was such a guru and famous person at that time. He was willing to learn from me as I learned from him. That made the combination really work. And uh, the only sad part was he died so young. We were having such a good collaboration, he just left me and went on. And the other person you want me to talk about, Joseph Campbell. Uh, Joseph, another giant, and uh, he was intimidating to me. And But fortunately, he was married to Jean Erdman, the dancer from Martha Graham Company. And I knew that whole world, and Martha Graham, in fact, invited me to be in her company, and Jean was my colleague. I invited her to teach at UCLA many times. He, she was also a famous dancer. And in early days, I only know of Joseph Campbell, other than intellectual person, Jean Erdman's husband. <laughs> Jean was more famous. But after uh, Joseph Campbell retired, we invite him to come to Esalen. And of course, a small circle of people really knew his work, admire his work, and his hero with a thousand faces is the classic everybody abide to. In fact, uh, everybody knows by now, George Lucas, because he read that book and inspired him to do Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and Joseph started coming here, and uh, we love each other's work. Alan Watts, in fact, put us together in the early days. And Joe said, let's do something together. I said, yes, we should, but we were both so busy. So we vowed to do something. We schedule ourselves on Joseph Campbell's March 26th birthday every year at Esalen. Because once we are on the, in the catalog, we know we were make a point to be together. Yeah. For 10 years before he passed on, we taught here at Esalen on his birthday week. And it was the, the, the blessings of my life because I could really sit by his feet, learn from him, share with him, and dance with him, and, and evolve and, and cultivate myself through his scholarship and his wonderful, wonderful learning 
deep learning. And I was grateful. And uh, of course, uh, everything works both ways. Uh, in the beginning, there were two camps, the Campbell camp. Everybody want Joseph to talk, talk, talk. There's Zhongliang Ao Huang camp. Get up and dance, dance, dance. And each, both sides, like, like split, duality, fighting. But by the middle of our collaboration, one day Joseph said, Zhongliang, you're going to give the lecture on Kundalini now. I will teach the five moving forces. I get them to dance. You lecture. And by the time the group, the two camps become one, um, I hope the people are not comfortable with their head, their intellect to be more open. And Joseph helped people holding on to their intellect to be more comfortable with their body. I must give tribute to the earliest Tai Chi teacher here. His name is Jia Fu Fan. Uh, he is from Shanghai, and same place I was born. And he came from a, a business family. He came here to, to be in a success and a Wall Street in New York. But he, deep in his heart, he was a hippie. <laughs> he couldn't wait to join the flower children. So he quit New York and came to Esalen and volunteered to be the short order cook and Tai Chi teacher. And he used his abacus to do accounting. Uh, briefly, he became very successful. People follow him. He taught Tai Chi here. And then so many disciples and took him away and gave him a house and worshipped him. And eventually he moved away. Uh, but he planted a seed for Tai Chi here. When I came, everybody said, oh, we got to do Tai Chi. Please teach us Tai Chi. Uh, so I began teaching here. And a part of my philosophical, cultural teaching, every morning we will do Tai Chi before breakfast and get everybody open up body, mind, and spirit all together, which is very much of a Chinese thing to do. In fact, uh, we have an old film uh, taken later in the, uh, I think, 70s, right after Alan Watts passed away. And uh, my first book was beginning to form based on my teaching here, Embrace Tiger, Return to Mountain. Uh, Alan Watts wrote the foreword for it before he died. Uh, in that film, uh, you can see all of us in Indian shirt and drawstring pants and, and uh, flower children, flower in our hairs, dancing. and. Um, it was fun. That was, that was the early freedom days. Uh, I was actually quite square. <laughs> I was artistically involved, academically involved. In fact, my, the image, I can see myself still, I had to wear a straw jacket with patches of, of leather on my elbow. I had a briefcase to teach. Of course, you, know, you go to, to the locker room, you take your clothes off, put on your leotards and tights and teach. But that was, that was the time, actually, I was a pretty square. Um, I had the free spirit in me, and I loved the freedom at SLM, but it was a little intimidating, actually. Um, also, um, I was too clean cut. I wasn't ready to inhale and do all those things. <laughs> and, uh, but lo and behold, I realized it's the true spirit I was interested in. I want to share the essence of Chinese philosophy. And Tai Chi is a metaphor. Tai Chi is a philosophy. I want to also shift the perception at that time, thinking Tai Chi is a Chinese thing. It's a structured thing you got to learn step by step. In fact, it looks like a 
soldier marching on the um, on Tai Chi deck, which is very anti Chi. Can you imagine all the trees grow the same way and all move the same direction? No way. That's not Tai Chi at all. So I began teaching creative Tai Chi to invite everybody to rediscover Tai Chi every morning with me because Tai Chi must be your own creative dance. And Tai Chi is a metaphor, it's a philosophy you use, but we are Americans in Big Sur, we are, Ameri we are Europeans in Europe, you learn your own Tai Chi development. Your body is your instrument. No matter what color of skin, shape, shades of eyes, uh, you must move in a Tai Chi way, the way you are authentically. That is my contribution right from the beginning. I remember teaching all the masseurs and people learning. I watched them getting so tired after one or two work with people because they don't use their planting, they don't use their legs into the ground the way Tai Chi does. So I taught them to plant their body into the earth, move their upper body in connection with the earthy body, use the whole body to move. And we used to call it the Tai Chi massage. And many old timers still call it the Tai Chi massage. They pay tribute to me. When they do training here, they insist the trainees come to the deck every morning to study with me. Yeah. Did you have contact so, with uh, Ida Rolf in the, in the oh early yes. days? Ida was also here. Ida was a was wonderful, wonderful um, innovator, but different approach. Uh, he dig deep into the muscle to find the deep, deep tissue. Uh, in fact, <laughs> there's a joke at Esalen, and when we smile and dance softly on the deck, Ida was digging in, we hear screaming all the time. <laughs> my mother used to come up here for my birthday in the summer, and she said, something is really wrong with all these people screaming, killing each other. <laughs> I must stop the whole thing. I said, mother, mother, please, this is... It's, adult mutual consenting, adult sharing therapy is quite legitimate. <laughs> Everybody just imagine my mother, she's a, quite a woman warrior with sword practice and Mama Huang go into a massage room with his sword, her sword says, stop this <laughs> difficult. But that was a joke at the restaurant. Uh, but Ida was very, very clear what I was doing was a compliment. In fact, one uh, morning when I was out of the, on the deck watching Ida, watching some very pseudo Tai Chi practice from another school, all lined up, Ida said, terrible, terrible, terrible. And then she, she saw me coming in the back, she said, oh, I don't mean your Tai Chi. I said, listen, I agree with you. This kind of Tai Chi all lined up like wooden soldiers are terrible for the body. And that's not my Tai Chi. But we had to go through it. Many people want structure almost too much. They get themselves locked into a little box, quote-unquote Chinese Tai Chi. Uh, my job is to get you out of the box and find your own Tai Chi. Uh, one of my, my current joke with my network is people come to me and say, oh, Zhong Liang, thank you, thank you. I study with you a while ago. I study with you. I practice every day the way you taught me. And they look at me and say, wow, but you have changed. I said, of course I've changed. When did you study with me? Last year? I have evolved. I've grown for a whole year. Are you still doing last year's Tai Chi? Poor you. You are stuck back there. 
See, this is what people need to learn. Every day, a new sunrise is not the same sunrise. Every evening, a new sunset to appreciate. Every day is a new you. Every morning, I begin again. When you say this is it, everything dies with you. Well, talk to me about human potential, because it seems that human potential has always been the reason that Esalen is here. Were you impassioned by the idea of human potential from the beginning? Absolutely. Being Chinese, the way I grew up, uh, Chinese philosophy is all about cultivation. How to cultivate. You were born innocent. You practice, you learn to be a good human being. That's very basic of, I think, all ancient philosophy, all the ancient culture. At the structure of dynasty after dynasty, government after government, you have rules, you have structures. But underneath, go to the depth of the proxy, is how to be a good human being. Everybody agrees. Whatever country you come from, whatever culture, okay? I grew up with that. So to be a good human being is to know you have a potential to learn, to adapt, to become a really good human person to live in this world, to be a world citizen. That's right in the depth of it. You know, one of the original seminars at Esalen was, Michael was saying, was related to Chinese-American relations. And you came in mid-60s, partly, I think, to help facilitate the theme of East meets West and peace between East and West. Talk to me a little bit about how East meets West was central to, to Esalen at that time. When I came, it was just because the whole consciousness of American thinking, you know, of course, uh, Michael went to India and Dick studied Tao Te Ching. They are already opening to a different kind of consciousness through the East. And at that time, too, in the 60s, the flower children, hippiedom, everybody leave. They, 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 were, they need Eastern philosophy to balance their thinking. It was the beginning of so much interesting Eastern philosophy. I happened to be the right place, the right time with my background. When I came here, everything they want to talk about, I grew up with it. So I was instant teacher, could supply all the information. Alan Watts said, you should come with teach me. I talk about it, you should do it with me. So Alan Watts was a student of Taoism, Zen Buddhism, but I grew up with it. And he said, you should do Tai Chi and show them the physical, uh, the spiritual part of through the body. And I knew what I was talking about. I was interested in coming here. I was also young and I was interested in learning from all the early innovators. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was a good student. They were a good mentor. And they also used me to support them. I'm, I'm curious about the, the ego. I don't know if you've ever done much teaching about it, but it feels like it can get in the way of getting in that present moment. Is there a way that you can kind of advise to be outside of the ego? The superficial ego, which is so divisive, so damaging for really brilliant people. I have watched it happen all the time. And Esalen is full of story like this with so many brilliant people used to come here, still coming here to teach. We're dealing, we will always be dealing with that. Now, one thing I can contribute, being very young, I was only 29, 28 years old, young professor, 
came to Esalen Gaga Eyed with all these brilliant, brilliant mentors. I had no problem. I wasn't competing with them. I was grateful to be their students. I was just being myself. And these wonderful, brilliant people, usually some of them have too much ego. They couldn't work with other people. But I do not impose any threat. I'm not competing. They invite me to collaborate. I became one of the early collaborators of all these big shots. Why? Because I have no sense of competing with them. Because I was interested in cultivating myself. I learned, I learned. And they can learn from me because they don't feel threatened by me. That's interesting. You know, I was watching The Watercourse Way, this film that was that was made in, in the early 70s, yeah. and noticing your dance and, and sort of thinking the dance was characterized by... Um, by core, by by a, by a core person without a great deal of... It wasn't about showing off. Yes. It's about expressing what you really feel. Your Tai Chi, tai chi practice is really to see that you are part of nature, not you're performing something pseudo-Chinese. When people are trying to show off their Tai Chi practice, they become superficial. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the true Tai Chi practice, you are so inspired by nature, you become nature. Then then it's wonderful to feel, to be without having to admire you, having to think you're wonderful, you know. If you've become self-conscious of showing Tai Chi off, you're not really doing Tai Chi anymore. You know, I've been performing all my life. I'm a performer, but uh, I know at my best performance is when I get older now, I become less flashy. I become more me. I do it for me, not because I want to impress people. That comes through age and experience. But I have to admit, as a young person, you want to impress people. You are lucky enough to have a good style, and you are facile, you are brilliant, and it's nice to be admired. Okay? <laughs> we all need that. We all, we, we all have that ego. Mm. But you also need to learn that's not it. Yeah. And so thank goodness you get old enough, you can get slightly wiser. <laughs> There's certain compensation for getting old. Yeah. I mean, talk, talk to me about teaching Tai Chi. What continues to make it dynamic and fun and interesting for you after teaching for many years? Because it's new every day. Uh, I tell you this morning, you know, and I was out there and it was after all that rain and, and the brave people showed up and they said, well, some of, us, some of them never done Tai Chi. They're just curious to, to meet the legendary Tai Chi teacher on the Tai Chi deck. <laughs> I said, listen, I've never done Tai Chi before. This is my first day, first morning. You're, you're the same as me. Okay? Now we have the same body. Open up. I said, this looks like the word Tai. Arms open. A great human being is called greatness in Chinese. And you touch your Dantian Hara below. You say, ha, ha, ha. You have the symbol for Tai. Everybody said, ta-da. They open their arms. I said, you start doing Tai Chi now. This morning, I said, well, what is G? G means extreme, stretch. Look up, you have sky. Look down, you have the earth. You're stretching yourself as tall as the sky, as deep as the earth. Go root, root yourself down. I've never taught Tai Chi trying to make everybody look chinese or look within a form, which is choreography. It's nice to have a structure. Every dancer knows, even though you know the choreography, when you perform, you have to do it for the first time ever. You don't just do the job. You need to forget the structure 
and be a dancer. Yeah, I mean, I see that you have a, a vitality to your being, and it must be from the from the improvisational nature of of living. I want to inspire myself. If I can do that, I inspire other people. That's why I last this long. <laughs> I'm still excited every morning. It's, it's not old hat anymore. It's not been there, done that ever. Yeah, I'm, I'm real about my experience, and I can share that. I impart, impart that to other people who do Tai Chi with me. I think that's why people have been coming for, for. This morning, somebody on the deck said, I took your class 40 years ago at SLA. They're still coming. They still want to do it. One thing that's interesting about your contribution is that you're the true embodiment of the body-mind synthesis, which is such a big part of the uh, human potential movement. Well, 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 I was lucky. Uh, Being Chinese the way I grew up, we really believe in this body-mind consciousness. Yeah, to, To begin learning Tai Chi Gong Fu Qi Gong as a child in nature is so deeply instilled in me. And if you are regular Chinese peasants even in the field and before you till the land you do your version of Tai Chi I remember in the villages during the war there's no Tai Chi class, no Tai Chi school, but people were doing something with their body before the day begins that's how Tai Chi began before we put a name on it it's how people wake up body, mind and spirit even if you don't even use those language you know in order to wake up, you have to be totally there, body, mind, spirit, to be a whole effective human being alive every day. Right now, I can see we're talking to each other, your body changed with me, see? When I talk about God, I can see you're feeling the God. And when I talk about that, you can, I said, bring it in. You, you, you are doing it because we're affecting each other as two human beings. We are similar. We have the same instrument. Yeah, we are not different. No matter what nationality, what color of skin, we have the same human essence. I, I have to say, not everybody has a good fortune I have. I came from a family uh, with nurturing parents and also... Um, scary parents because my father expect me to be to excel and I was always picked out and chant do another get up and chant a classic poetry for uncle so and so because I'm bright because he trusts me you know and but also you have to live up to it but at the same time you have to really study be sure that when you're picked and you you, you can come through so I all my life I've struggling with that a little bit, but also you, you also build up confidence because you do learn to trust your study and, and you are ready for it. But also, I think intuitively, I'm a good improviser. Mm-hmm. Um, improvisation is best way. It's not faking. It's, it's trust something will happen if you just go to the middle of it. If you jump into the moment, something wonderful will, will transcend your fear. And you'll be amazed how things happen to you. Okay, there is a good improviser in life, uh, which also to f- trust the moment because you don't fix it. You don't try to fix it for the way you want it. You have to be a little bit not knowing. Yeah. The unknowing is important, and of course it comes from experience. Yeah, I was lucky. Also, my life, I have many opportunities to learn, to have success with this unknowing 
to improvise well, to have certain success out of my trust in myself. Yeah. You can learn to be better. Uh, when you become a performer, somebody always can do better than you. Somebody can kick the leg higher. Somebody can spin more pirouettes. You are not the best. But if you pick to do something, you will do your best for your part. So competition is not important. Is you come again, compete with yourself. What you can be the best, you got to make it your best. You have to work at it. You have to have fun with it. You have to improvise with it. The combination. Just to work at it is no good. You got to have fun working. What is your secret superpower? What is something you're very good at that m- maybe nobody knows? Uh, it's, it's my intuition, my imagination. It's my innate ability to hear and see and feel the good things happening. Mm-hmm. And I know how to touch it and taste it and be right there. And, and also I know when I wake up in the morning how old I, have, I am because I've used this body for 82 years. It's not as agile, as sprite, as springy as when I was even last year. No, that's, that's a reality you have to deal with. And, but you learn watching your elders, some of them are wiser than the others. Some of them continue to grow and to inspire you. Some of them get trapped, get stuck. When you look at the flowers, smiling back at you, how can you not respond? When you see the sunrise, even with a cloudy day, you know sun is behind it. And when you see a grass just pop up, even between an, an, a crack between bricks, uh, you know there's life. You must feel the aliveness, uh, responsiveness to nature, to others. Don't close yourself in. And, uh, and be the joyful person to contribute to the world. When you walk into a room, you need to add some light, not to soak up other people's life. Okay? Mm. You need to contribute. Yeah. <laughs> and then and, and bring the joy out of yourself and, and you will get it right back. Yeah, that helps a lot. I tell my children and grandchildren, your grandpa still don't know what he wanted to do when he grows up. <laughs> well, there's so many things. Like Chinese banquet we grew up with. You don't just eat one dish. You savor a variety of things. Same thing. And I just hope I do, don't become uh, jack of all trades and master of none. And what I'm interested in, I go deeper. And there's so much more. Yeah. I just need to uh, have more incarnations. I pray, give me several more incarnations so I can continue to learn. Al Wong, mentor, Chinese uncle. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom uh, with us on Voices of Esalen today. We're all so grateful to be part of it. Yeah, and let's wish for the best for Esalen's future. Because it's for your generation, your children's generation, you're four months old. I see the sons and grandchildren here. So it's up to you people now. Okay? <laughs> Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Lori Putnam, and Shannon Hudson. Our music is by Nico Holloman. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and more. You can also find all of our podcasts archived at our website, esalen.org. That's E-S-A-L-E-N.org. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Programs like this one are made possible by the support of our donors. 